Welcome to another vital message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the Word. Are you ready for the Word? All right, let's open up our Word tonight. We're going to be going to Acts in just a moment, and I'll give you a little time to find Acts. And uh, we're going to be talking uh, briefly about the laws of God. You know, Wednesday nights are a little different than Sunday mornings. On Sunday mornings, you know, we have this, uh, uh, this uh, 5,000, bless me, feed me, heal me crowd, you know, the group that Jesus loved to bless. In fact, we just sang some, some, uh, some of the scripture that blessed are you. That comes from Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus had a multitude with him, and the only thing the multitude knew, Jesus said, was that he would heal them, and he would feed them, and he would bless them. He said, you wouldn't even follow me if it wasn't for the fact that I fed you and you are full okay and so that 5,000 message of of God is a good God he loves you he's going to bless you he's going to meet your needs you know that is the Sunday morning multitudes but if you come back on a Wednesday night you're coming back for a little different message for a discipleship message because Jesus also ministered to different groups of people he ministered ministered to the 5,000 he ministered to the 70 He had 70 disciples, Matthew the 10th chapter, Luke the 10th chapter. He had a specific message for the disciples. And then he also had 12 that he brought close to him and sent them out to preach. And then there were three that he took closer with him than anyone else, you know, James, Peter, and John. And so on Sunday mornings, you know, um, I promise you if you come or or, or, or if you join us at church online, or right here on campus, that you will get a wonderful, wonderful word as to what Jesus is going to do in order to bless you, in order to meet your needs, in order to make sure that you are full and taken care of. But if you come back on Wednesday nights, if you, you know, uh, come to church online on Wednesday nights, you can expect to hear something that you need to know or something that you need to do. We're just going to go a little bit deeper, all right? And so tonight, in talking about the laws of God, let me set this up before we get to Acts chapter 15. Because in Acts chapter 15, uh, there's going to be a council of elders and apostles in the church of Jerusalem that are going to decide some things for the church. Very interesting that God gave authority to these men to help set some precedents in the church. But back up with me all the way to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, along about verse 28, God gives the first five commands, the first five set of instructions to mankind. Now remember, this was in a time in the Garden of Eden when there was no sin. This was just after he had created Adam and Eve. It was a perfect world. And God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue those things that are against you, and have dominion over all the works of my hands. Five commands. It could be broken down into three. It depends on how you wanted to lump lump them together. But basically, five things that God wanted. We'll call them the five commandments, the original five commandments. That was the first law that God gave. He gave that law to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, 
subdue your enemies and those things that stand against me and have dominion over all the works of my hands. And so you know what happened. God also told them that there are some do's and don'ts in the garden. Even in a perfect world, there are some things you can do and things you can't do. Isn't that amazing? You would think in a perfect world, if it was perfect and there was no sin, that you could just do anything you wanted to. But God did not create us to just do anything we want to. Not everything is okay. Even in a perfect world, God said, don't do this. You can do this, you can eat of this tree, but you cannot eat of that one, okay? Can you imagine having restrictions? Sometimes people feel like restrictions or don'ts. The things, you know, I mean, I mean you're, you're, you're holding me back. You're, you know, you're, no, even God in a perfect world gave instructions, he gave commandments, and he gave some do's and don'ts. Well, if we move from there after sin entered into the picture and we see God dealing with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and we see the children of Israel if you're following through Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy you see the children of Israel going down into Egypt and staying for 430 years after that time God delivered them from Egypt and he gave them a set of ten commandments twice as many as they had in the garden i guess it's twice as tough in the sinful world as it is in the perfect world i'm not sure but twice as many and y'all remember what those are you can read them if you don't remember them they're in exodus chapter 20 those ten commandments of god now originally be fruitful multiply replenish the earth subdue and have dominion now god says listen don't have any other gods before me because that had been a problem Number two, he said, don't make any graven images, Exodus chapter 20. Don't make, why? Because making, you know, creating a God in your image is not going to help you. Number three, don't take my name in vain. Number four, listen, uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Number five, honor your mother and your father. And then we go on to this second table as to how we're going to treat others. And in treating others, we don't need to be you know, uh, lying and cheating and stealing and committing adultery. And we don't need to be coveting. Uh, just, just simple things and rules. In fact, these Ten Commandments are a part of the law of Moses. God has laws. He had original laws in a perfect world. He had laws to Adam and Eve. He had laws to his children. And all of these laws are encouragements for us. God is not hoping that he can create a law so that you can fail and he can punish you. The law was never meant for punishment. And God got so upset several times that people started using the law as, as uh, you know, in, in a way it wasn't intended. God said, I never wanted your sacrifices. I never wanted you to have to come to me and say I'm sorry all the time. He said, but what I wanted to do was to give you a schoolmaster. I wanted to give you some laws, he said in the book of Galatians. The apostle Paul was explaining the reason God gave laws. He said, I wanted to give you some laws to help you to not hurt yourself because whenever you offend me when you offend one another 
And when you offend yourself, you'll pay for it. And those are how the laws, the law of Moses, is basically broken down. It was never meant to be so, you know, uh, so hard to read. And it was never meant to be something that, that was impossible to keep. It was meant to be something that was an encouragement to us. You know, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, he said in his writings, I should have listened to my daddy. He said, I should have listened to my mama. That's what he said. You know, there are some things that just helped us. He said, I should have done what God's word said, what the priest told him, Nathan. And you know what you're going to find out at the end of life? Daddy was right, mama was right, and the preacher was right. Okay? And none of them are judging you. None of them are trying to hurt you. God is right. He's not trying to hurt you, not trying to judge you. He's not trying to criticize you. Neither were the laws of God. They were aimed at helping you. Helping you not to offend God. Helping you not to offend others. And helping you not to offend yourself. Not to hurt yourself. The laws of Moses, for example are basically broken down into three categories. As, well, I break them down into three categories. I've never read this anywhere else, but I break them down into three basic categories. Okay? They are laws that involve how I should treat God. Ceremonial laws. Okay? So there are ceremonial laws. A second uh, you know, uh, um, uh, set of laws are moral laws. Laws that govern how I should treat you. Okay? It, 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 it's a moral imperative that I not go to court and lie against you. It's a moral imperative that I not steal from you. It's a moral imperative that, 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 that I do not uh, commit adultery. Because if I commit adultery, it's going to be committed with somebody else's woman. Hello? It's a moral imperative, he says. It's, it's moral laws. There are a lot of ceremonial laws in how I should treat God, a lot of moral laws in how I should interact with man, and then the third set of laws, we'll call them dietary laws, but really they were more, uh, uh, more health laws. They weren't just about necessarily what you eat. You can find those if, if you want to read any of them. You can find some of them in, in Leviticus 7 and some of them in Leviticus 11. Okay? And they are all, all of these laws, whether it's ceremonial laws, they are there to help us not offend God. It's all for our benefit. It's not just for God's benefit. They are, you know, the, these moral laws are there for our benefit. Not, you know, so we don't offend others, so we don't, we don't end up hurting others and, and, and thereby hurting ourselves. Offending God because we don't care about other people. Offending God because we don't love Him, offending God because we don't care about other people, or offending God because we are not taking care of this temple. God intends for us to take care of our bodies. It is a law. It is a requirement. Not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New. Now, there was a church in Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, we're going to chapter 15 in a moment. There was a church in Antioch that one day while they were praying, they heard from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to send Barnabas and Saul, the apostle Paul, I want you to send them on a missionary journey. 
We know it as Paul's first missionary journey. And as they went out under the covering and under the anointing and, and because of the mission of the church in Antioch, they went and preached the gospel in every city they came to. They were persecuted and they were you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, in danger, but they successfully preached the word of God. And after they had finished this missionary journey, they came back to the church in Antioch. And while they were there in the church in Antioch, one of the things that the apostle Paul and Barnabas told the church was that, hey, guess what? God is saving Gentiles, not just Jews. God is saving the whole world. We have seen God win people to him. People have heard the word they have believed they have received jesus as lord and savior they have been water baptized and they have received the the baptism of the holy spirit and speaking in tongues and prophesying and we have seen this well the church in antioch said yay wonderful you know hallelujah that's something we hadn't realized well just before the apostle paul and barnabas got their chance to tell the church all that the apostle peter who was about, oh, 200 miles away in the city of Joppa. The apostle Peter, who did not know that Gentiles could be saved, he only thought that Jesus was a Jew, he was the Messiah that was promised by God, and, and, and Jehovah is a God of the Jews, and so salvation was in his mind for the Jews. This is what Peter believed. This was after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Peter is in Joppa. It's about noon one day, and he has this vision. You can read about it in Acts chapter 10. And in this vision, God makes it very plain to him that God wants to save Gentiles and Jews. This shocked the apostle Peter. And God said, get down off the rooftop. There's some people at the door. Go with them, and, and, and you let me worry about the results. So Peter went with them, went up to Caesarea. You can read about it in Acts chapter 10, as I said. And he gets to Caesarea, and while Peter is talking to a Roman centurion, an army man in the Roman army, a Gentile, while Peter is talking to him, the Holy Ghost falls not only on Cornelius, but on his whole household, servants and friends and family, and they all get saved, and they all are filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in tongues. They begin to prophesy. Acts 10, through 48 is you know, one of the most powerful passages there about God saving Gentiles. And so uh, at, at, at that point, they were water baptized. And so Peter has had this experience, and Paul has had this experience. God saving Gentiles. And it is a shock that is going through the Jewish community because Jews thought Jesus was just for Jews. Messiah, the promised Messiah of God. So, here the Apostle Paul and Barnabas give their, you know, their uh, missionary uh, um, um, report to the church and we pick up on this story in the 15th chapter of Acts verse 1 and certain men 
came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined, this is the church in Antioch, determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Now, now, think with me here. Go back with me. Put yourself in their shoes. That's how we interpret the Word of God. We put ourselves in there. This is the first church. We are in the early days. Church has never happened before. They are just organizing. And the structure that they have is that they have local leadership in churches, but they also recognize that there are people in Jerusalem, not Paul and not Barnabas, but there are people in Jerusalem that walked with Jesus for three and a half years on the face of the earth. They are bound to know more than we know about this. They have, I mean, they walked with him. They learned from him. And we need to go down to headquarters. We need to go down to Jerusalem. We need to go down to somebody that's older and wiser and more experienced than we are. We need to go down to somebody that understands a little bit of us. And we need to get some guidance on this because we don't believe, Paul and Barnabas said, we don't believe that you have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. But yet others were teaching that you must first become a Jew. You must first be circumcised and come into a covenant, the Abrahamic covenant with God, before you can be saved. Now, the, the, the real question is here is that neither Paul nor Barnabas nor any of those others that were arguing with them, nobody wanted to be wrong. They had their opinions but nobody wants to be wrong when it comes to salvation. Nobody wants to be telling somebody the wrong thing about salvation or about what God will do in your life. It does not help you to tell anybody what they want to hear. It does not help you to tell anybody what you think. It only helps to tell people what the Word of God intends. And the Word of God is only the Word of God when it is the Word of God. And what the Apostle Paul had been feeling is that salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works of the flesh. This is what Paul will teach. And Paul is wanting it to be validated the church in Antioch is wanting to know where should we stand on this matter? Should we stand in the place to say that, that it's, it's by your works that you are saved? It's because you are a Jew, that's the reason you're saved. It's because you are a member of the church, that's the reason you're saved. It's because you were baptized as a baby, that's the reason you're saved. It's because your grandmother was a charter member of the church, that's the reason you're saved. It's because you walked down the aisle of a church, that's the reason you're saved. The Apostle Paul wanted to throw all those things away. And he wanted to say that it's because you have made a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You personally believed and you personally received Christ by faith into your heart. And then whatever you do after you are saved should be done because you have a conviction that that's what God wants you to do. That's the message the Apostle Paul had been given. And here the church in Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas and others down to Jerusalem. Now, uh, verse 4. 
when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. Now, they were, these were good, believing Christians. These were committed Christians. Okay? Uh, and they believed that, that uh, some of these Pharisees who had believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, this was a very early uh, uh, you know, moment in the church. And here they were having some doctrinal differences. They were having some dissension. They were having some disputes early on. I'm so glad that, that the Holy Spirit wrote the account of these things to us so that we can understand that sometimes people, good-meaning, well-meaning people, good people, godly people, believers, are struggling with exactly what to believe because nobody wants to be wrong. But it also shows us a pattern of what to do. In verse 6, now, now the, the question is, do people have to be circumcised? Circumcision was an outward expression of a covenant with God because you're a child of Abraham, because you have converted to Judaism and been circumcised. Okay? The apostles say, Paul is saying it's of the heart. It's not of the works. And the question is, do people have to be circumcised and do they have to keep the laws of God, the laws of Moses, these, these ceremonial laws, these moral laws, these, these uh, you know, health laws? Do they have to keep these in order to be saved? Well, verse 6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, they were still arguing over it, you know. Uh, Peter got up. And Peter told them his experience that happened to him in Joppa and, in, and, and also in uh, Caesarea. And so he says, man, I, uh, you know, he says, look, I'm telling you that God always planned. I realize now that the prophets had told us that God always planned to take the Gentiles and save the Gentiles and the Jews together. Verse 13. Now they were arguing and they were disputing. And after they had become a silence, after everybody had had their say, James who, as we understand, was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Okay. Verse 19, James says, Therefore I judge, or I decide. You know, it shows us a pattern that there should be somebody in your world that can decide something. You know, God needs decision makers. He needs people who will follow decisions, but he also needs decision makers. In fact, heaven and earth both choose aggressive, decisive, and determined individuals to lead the defining battles of life. And here James, as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, uh, whom I believe was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that he is the James that was the son of Mary and Joseph. I believe that he was also one of the brothers that, that made fun of Jesus and, and said, you know, go on, you know. <laughs> and later, after the resurrection, Jesus appearing to more than 500, no doubt convinced his brother as well, and I believe this is that James. Okay? Uh, and I believe this is that James 
that wrote the book of James. Many people imagine the book of James does not agree with the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul said, you're saved by, by, by faith, by grace, and not by works. And <laughs> James says, you're saved by works. Interesting, huh? But do you know if you read both of the writings of Paul and the writings of James, you would find out that they quote one another so many times. I mean, back and forth, back and forth. But the book of, of, of the, you know, Paul is speaking to those people who are not saved with an evangelistic message. James is speaking to those people who are saved. Not one time does he talk about how to get saved. He talks about what people need to do because they are saved. And so sometimes from the standpoint a person is writing is what you need to look at and realize that the apostle Paul is trying to get people saved and James is trying to get the saved to come on do something Paul is saying you you're saved by grace and James is saying that if you are saved come on now do something get something done and so here James this James says I judge that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Interesting. Four things are mentioned, but three things, we can categorize these in three ways. Number one, we can categorize them that let's encourage Gentiles, number one, to keep some ceremonial laws. Let's make sure that you are not in idolatry. Let's make sure that you don't offend God uh, by, by you know, worshiping idols or, 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 or connecting or polluting yourself with idols or even things that have been dedicated to idols. You know, even meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Come on now, let's not involve ourselves in anything that is ceremonially unclean. Let's don't do things to offend God. Number one, you don't want to offend God. Number two, these are the, these are the New Testament laws, by the way, okay? This is the New Testament law. Number one, don't do anything to offend God. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, he says also, let's tell them to, to abstain from sexual immorality. This is, again, connected to the Ten Commandments, connected to our moral obligation to not engage in sexual immorality. Why? Because he is writing here to the Gentiles. Remember, this is a question in what do we teach Gentiles? Not what do we teach Jews, because Jews had been taught the Ten Commandments all of their life. What do we teach Gentiles who have not received the Word of God, who don't have, you know, they didn't have a New Testament, and they didn't, the Gentiles didn't have an Old Testament. They had nothing. So what do we teach people who have nothing? What do we teach people who literally know nothing about God and what God wants? Because Gentiles lived in a Gentile world. And the Gentile world of that day was filled with idolatry. There was every pagan god and goddess that was worshipped. It was filled completely with Hellenistic idol worship and with, with all of the Greek mythology and all of the gods and goddesses. The world was filled. And the people they were witnessing to were absolutely absolutely idolatrous let's teach them don't be idolatrous let's teach them to stop 
committing sexual immorality because the Gentile world was filled with sexual immorality. In fact, they had not only no laws against it, they had no, no compunction against it. It was just nothing. I mean, it was absolutely nothing. Do you know some place in the world you go today, there is just absolutely no shame about all the immorality and all the sexual impurity that's going on in some countries, some places, and some people, they have no frame of reference. Their world, it's filled with it. It is absolutely full of sexual immorality, and there's just no shame, no worry, no fear, no concern attached to it. You know, I talked to somebody recently, then, and, and after they told me their testimony, I was going, my goodness, you know, didn't you ever feel bad about that? But no, they didn't. They had no frame of reference as to why they should have any shame or bad feelings about all the things that they had been involved in. Well, listen, when you get born again, this is what we want to teach you Gentiles. <laughs> Number one, don't make God mad. Don't offend God. Number two, don't offend others with your sexual immorality because that's the one thing that was prevalent throughout the Gentile world of that day, especially in places like Corinth. And number three, abstain from things that are strangled and from blood. We'll lump those together. Why? Because in that day, the Gentile, not the Jewish world, the Jewish world had for years, out of, out of Leviticus 7, Leviticus 11, stay away from the blood, stay away from... But the delicacies of the Gentile world was to enjoy blood. Okay? It, it just was real. In fact, that's why they would often strangle what they were going to eat instead of cutting it. Because if they would strangle it, the blood remained in it, and also, in the sheer act of being strangled, the, the, the meat of the animal would, that would be infused with blood. And that way you could eat the meat and the blood and enjoy the blood and drain the blood and drink the blood. It was a common practice. Okay, remember if we're going to interpret the Word of God, we have to interpret it because we stand in people's shoes, the person who wrote it, the person it was written to, and the problem it was addressing. And then we make application in our life from understanding first what God intended. Well, this is God speaking here to the first church, and he is simply saying three things. And these are the three laws that I will leave you with, the three Christian laws, okay? Not the Mosaic laws. We'll call them the laws of James. How's that, okay? Um, number one, Worship God. Don't do anything that you know is going to offend God. We'll put these categorically. And as a Christian, we should teach people, don't offend God. Don't, don't be idolatrous and don't, don't partake. You know, uh, uh, specifically, things polluted by idolatry. Uh, things were dedicated to idols. There are still some things today that are dedicated to the world, that are absolutely dedicated to, to, uh, to demons, the devils. There are things that are dedicated to the gods of this world. We're not supposed to be polluted by those things. Okay, We're not supposed to allow those things to cause us to worship them. We should not worship things that are polluted by this world. Number two, Christian law. You know, don't don't offend God by offending your brothers and sisters. 
by causing them such harm and pain. Don't, don't, you know, don't involve yourself in separating families and tearing people apart and, 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 and you know, and just, just, just don't. Just don't. Okay? It's not a Christian thing to be sexually immoral. We should teach that to our children, to our children's children. We should, you know, be a role model. And number three, God has a reason why He does not want you to take things into your body that's going to hurt your body. Number three, don't offend your own body and your own health. It's a Christian law to not do things that you know is going to destroy your physical health. It's a Christian responsibility. Now, is God going to hate you? No. It's like the first law of, of it's just wanting to teach you. He's wanting to help you not hurt yourself. He's wanting to help you and encourage you. Encourage you so you don't offend Him, so you don't offend others, and so that you don't offend yourself. So there are three things I would encourage you tonight to do. Number one is make sure you don't offend God. Number two, do your best not to offend others. And number three, don't offend yourself. Take care of yourself. Amen? Those are the Christian laws. Thanks again for joining us for another relevant word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.